What does the future of gaming hold in terms of how we communicate with each other and how we interact with media? We have two video game developers here on Spark Talks today to give their take on how interactive media influences us at work, at play, and while learning about our world. Make sure to tweet us at SparkPR to ask your questions and give us your take on the gaming industry. First up is Rostin Murphy, VR engineer at Striver Labs and producer of several video games like Queen at Arms, Rex Rocket, and King's Ascent. Afterward, we'll talk to John Osborne D'Agostino, who's changing the way we consume news. I'm Vanessa Zucker, your host and marketing manager at Spark. So, Rostin, since you have spoken at length about virtual reality and interactivity on another episode of Spark Talks called Virtual Reality, Where We've Been and Where We're Going, I'll ask you this. In general, what do you see for the future of games? I think that gaming is becoming more and more a part of everyday life. Games are more accessible and it's more normal to play them. Uh, young people have cell phones and we just have constant access to all kinds of games. Gaming is essentially a superset of other forms of media. It not only contains books, music, movies, but it's also interactive. I think it's going to just become bigger and bigger. Do you think the presence of gamification will expand? Gamification is interesting. It was sort of a fad for a while, and then it seemed to, to die off. But I think that there are going to be subtle ways that gamification suffuses productivity. If you look at some of the more recent productivity apps that have come out, like Asana, Slack, Jira, I think those platforms have a lot of small hallmarks of gamification, or even things like any phone app. The way those applications are designed to be more fun and to pop more is sort of an element of gamification. Yeah, and to set goals and then reward you for reaching those goals. It's not explicitly a game, but it's using that psychology. I think if you look 50 years into the future at how people work, I think that we'll, we will see gamification at play and work will look more like play. How much more, I'm not sure, but I think that's already happening. Uh, when I work, I have a tasks list on Asana, and you know, I fill out those tasks, and I accomplish those tasks, and when I do, there's a little glowing check mark, and it makes a little noise, so we're getting there. Have you noticed gaming companies pivoting from games to a broader interactive entertainment industry? I would actually think perhaps maybe the reverse would be true, where companies that haven't focused on interactivity have begun to. I think interactivity is the new dimension of entertainment. Entertainment has usually been relatively static, although I would argue that no entertainment is devoid of interactivity, whether it's books or plays. But I think that interactivity is going to become more and more a major factor in entertainment. Even the way that if you're watching a show, you can go on Twitter and tweet at the show's creator, and that might influence a future storyline. What about the people who come home from work 
and they're so tired that all they want to do is go home and watch TV and not do anything else. Are those people dying out and being replaced by people who want to interact with their entertainment and think more about what they're watching? I love games more than anyone. And sometimes playing games is still too much effort for me. So I don't think that passive forms of entertainment will ever go away. Games do also have a spectrum of how interactive they are. So if you look at something like the work of Telltale's games, which are these sort of interactive narrative games, while they are interactive, they're also fairly passive in a lot of ways in that uh, you have some control over the story, but a lot of times you're just clicking dialogue options and progressing a story, you know, or visual novels, which are similar. So I think that you're going to see more of this blending where we have games that are less interactive and let's say TV shows that are somewhat interactive. So interactivity will be a part of everything as it's always been, but there will always be forms of entertainment that are very interactive and forms that are less interactive. So don't worry, you're still going to be able to go home and watch a TV show and not have to think about anything. What else do you predict? Uh, something interesting about the future of games is that more and more people are becoming game creators. The creation of games is becoming a more accessible medium, similar to writing, art, and I think the games industry is sort of becoming choked by a large number of people who want to enter it. And I guess this will probably play out in a similar way to Hollywood, where you really, really have to stand out and be very good in order to break in. Uh, I think people are making more money on game design schools than game designers are making from doing game design, which is very tragic. Uh, this is something that happens with every creative medium. Weirdly, the more globalized the world gets, the market for media doesn't actually grow. It sort of stays the same or even shrinks because humans sort of naturally want to all be sharing a collective experience. So if you look at like Pokemon Go, everybody in the entire world was super stoked about that game when it came out. At the same time, there are more niche games. They just make vastly less money. Uh, I've made a few of these. So there's a market for experiences that wouldn't exist because of globalization. You know, we can make games catering to weird fetishes or for very particular customers. But simultaneously, there's still only a certain market size for blockbusting billion-dollar games. Mm. Entire companies like Twitch have been formed in response to the number of people watching games instead of playing them. What do you think about these growing numbers of game spectators? That's true. This is getting huge, and it's a very interesting phenomenon. This is something that really, when you look at young people, this is something young people are doing. You look at someone like PewDiePie, who is the most popular YouTuber in the world, and people love to watch him play games and see him react. It's interesting that games have done this, perhaps because they represent a virtual environment for someone to explore. 
it's a it's a strange phenomenon very interesting that i think we have to keep our eyes on i think watching a live stream is my version of getting home from work and being too tired to watch anything I want to see people interact with the media that they are using, but I don't actually want to interact with it myself. It's kind of like reality TV in some ways, but it's even a little bit more real because you know you can get to chat and and uh, they'll probably read your your comment at least one time out of ten. <laughs> Thanks, Rustin. All right. Next up is John Osborne D'Agostino, an award-winning web developer, data journalist, and game designer. He brings together the worlds of journalism and gaming into a niche but growing method of communicating information beyond just reading a long article. Thank you for inviting me on the show. Of course. Mary Meeker's Internet Trends Report for 2017 has a whole section on games, and part of that section explains how interactive storytelling and interactive learning have deep roots in gaming. It gives examples like Twitch and Duolingo, but doesn't specifically mention journalism and news media. What are your thoughts on gaming as it relates to journalism? Yeah, um, yeah, there, there's a lot to that story, actually. Um, and I guess it goes back to probably the early aughts. You know, there was this moment in journalism where there was a lot of interest in experimenting with uh, what Ian Bogos would call news games. You know, it kind of met with you know varying degrees of success, but I think overall it wasn't as successful as people hoped it would be, particularly within the journalism industry. Um, I think there was also just barriers between wrapping one's head around the idea of what a game is and what it isn't. You know, there's still people who think games are for children. I believe games are vehicles for storytelling, and you know, jour- as journalists, we are you know first and foremost storytellers. You know, we pick our medium of choice may it be print or video podcast but ultimately we talk with communities we research report and then we tell the story of the you know topic and the people that we we are researching and games are just you know the are these vehicles for telling immersive stories and um i think that uh more recently there's been kind of a resurgence of interest in uh using games for storytelling uh, probably because uh, I like to always think that it was, you know, a little too soon in the aughts, uh, particularly as, you know, the Internet was really starting to ramp up and mobile devices were just starting to really proliferate. And I think that people kind of ran before the gun fired. And now I think it's coming back around, which is really exciting uh, to see. But it's still, you know, not nearly where I'd like it to be, but um, I can definitely explain some of the really interesting projects that have been happening. Okay, before we move on, are we talking about games that express a journalistic story or journalism that contains gamification? Yeah, so I think it really depends on the experimentation going on. I personally am more on the on, on the side of using games to tell stories, journalistic stories, uh, if you will. Um, there are some, you know, there, there's been experimentation and there is still projects out there that would be more about gamifying, you know? So, you know, I, I, I'm, there was a, a lot of this probably like five to six years ago. You probably remember publications like the Huffington Post used to have badge systems, you know, and you would get like points for as, you know how often you commented and engaged with the content 
and you had you know like quizzes and you still have quizzes that are you know pretty popular and and, and are out there particularly like with buzzfeed you know these these are all ways that like you know that people are trying to gamify the news experience and and, re- and really just been it's been largely unsuccessful especially according to to a Toe report that came out a few years ago that kind of did a good dive into the state of play and gaming and journalism. By and large, the gamification wasn't working, but um, I think games, which I always tend to consider something completely different um, than gamification, I think games are starting to kind of make a comeback. I've been seeing a lot more projects out there, experimental projects. A uh, good example. Washington Post came out with this, which I which I believe is probably the first native mobile uh, journalism game uh, during the primaries for the 2016 election, where it was basically a Flappy Bird clone, but they mixed. It was called Floppy Candidate, and they they kind of mixed that up. With, you know, instead of having a bird, it was like the faces of the candidates, and you could pick which candidate. You know, so if you supported Trump, you pick Trump. If you supported Hillary, pick Hillary. Bernie, pick Bernie. And you would play the game as you would play like uh, Flappy Bird, but then there was like quizzes kind of intermixed there. And it was interesting. And they were actually pretty transparent about kind of the analytics they got uh, a month after launching. And it was actually kind of interesting. You know, they had over 15,000 downloads between the Apple Store and Google Play. They had about 2 million uh, games that were played, about 130 uh, on average per user. And I think that just went to show that, you know, there was interest in this. I mean, I think I think it had like an average of 4.5 stars on both uh, Google Play and on um, the Apple Store. So the team said they got that together in a few weeks and it didn't, you know, of course there were challenges to the process, but I just think it showed that this was something that was lighthearted, you know, it covered serious topic matter, but, you know, they approached it in this like lighthearted manner and people liked it. Um, I'd like to see kind of more stuff like that. You know, there was also a game, you know, the, you know, shameless self-promotion that, you know, I did with Tiffany Liu that was published last year. It was published at the Heckinger Report. That was about parachute kids, which are uh, kids predominantly from China and Taiwan who come to the States at an early age to kind of get alchemated to the education system here. And really with the goal of like trying to get into one of the prestigious universities here like UC Berkeley. It's a really interesting story because some of these, you know, these kids come without any parental supervision. And they're trying to, at times, learn the language while trying to, you know, get good grades in school. And also, like, you know, having to kind of work through culture shock. You know, for a lot of these kids, it was the first time they ever came to the country. So, really interesting story. It lends itself really well to a game to kind of put you in the shoes of, you know, of these of these kids and kind of you know, see what they have to go through and how they kind of balanced, you know, their happiness and, and their desire to like, to grow and learn. That ended up getting a national headliner award for web and digital projects and was a finalist for a Deadline Club award. Again, just showing that there's still interest out there in the community and about these games. And, it, and the game was uh, so well done in the eyes of the sources, and there were many sources for this, um, that, you know, some of the students that were in, or some of the former uh, parachute kids that were, that were interviewed, who are, who are now mentoring kids that are coming to the States, use the game as a tool. You help them learn kind of, uh, you know, the obstacles they may face and, and the consequences of some of the choices that they could end up making. So, you know, we thought that was really awesome that you, you wouldn't get that with a, 
a print piece. Like you wouldn't you wouldn't get that same utility of really understanding all the different story possibilities and consequences of you know of these kids. Um, so I, I would like to see more of that. And um, I know that there's a lot of challenges to it. And I know that's why there's I don't think I wouldn't say there's like resistance as much as there is like you know just financial obstacles and experiential obstacles you know and there's you know not many newsrooms that have game designers i think the only publication that i know of that had that had maybe still has i'm not sure but it used to have a team of game designers is buzzfeed mm-hmm. <laughs> and so we haven't quite seen the level of like games and gamification that that is kind of happening all across multiple industries in journalism i think mostly because of these like financial and I would say managerial barriers, you know, just not really understanding what games are or, or how to even do them. Like, how, to, how, how would you even make a game? And if you didn't make a game, make a game that's fun, you know, and all while also not trivializing the topic matter and, you know, because that's very serious. And also, you know, just being the right medium to tell a story, you know? What about partnerships between major gaming companies and news media outlets? I mean, there have been partnerships in the past uh, between media companies and uh, developing sh- developer shops. Um, I don't think like AAA level, but oh, a good example is uh, <laughs> the, uh, the the Deadline Club Award. The one of the the person who ended up winning that award that we were finalists for was Marvel. Marvel and ABC collaborated on a project, a web project. That was basically like a comic, so you like you could turn the page, and you know they, it was it was interesting. So uh, I know it's not games, but that is a major company, you know, that partnered up with a, a a media outlet to produce journalistic content. So the idea that a AAA company may decide at some point to work with, uh, say, the New York Times on something, that would be cool. I mean, I I think anything is possible. I think like there have to really be like some sort of you know incentive. Uh, I'm, not, I'm, not, you know, I'm not sure the New York Times is going to be able to fork over the fees and like you know hire them to actually make a game. But uh, but there have been there are, there have been numerous uh, instances of of uh, media outlets in the in the past who have actually hired developers to make games. So that's our, there's already precedent for that. But it's mostly been like indie shops, which I, I which I'm also you know also totally down with and probably more so to be honest. So yeah, I think that that collaborate there's history of that collaboration. And I don't see why there couldn't be more. Okay. Do you have anything else that you're just dying to tell us that I haven't mentioned yet? Yeah, I mean, I guess maybe a message for, you know, people out who might be listening to this podcast, uh, people in the journalism world in particular, who maybe had an idea for a game or wanted to really explore using games as a way to tell stories, but wasn't really sure where to start. You know, I, uh, I want to say a couple things. The first would be, there are many, many, many examples out there of um, games that were made, contracted through media companies, games that were made by developers uh, who focus more on like what they call serious gaming. You know, gaming. You know, games that really um, explore consequences and are meant to be educational and informative and are meant for social change. They exist. There's not many good places to find them, but I have been compiling a directory for many, many years now of these games on my website. If you ever want to check that out for inspiration, johnodagostino.io. But aside from that, um, I highly recommend also reading a book by 
Jeremy Gibson, who is a really awesome game designer called Introduction to Game Design, Prototyping and Development. It's a really good book. It gives a great overview of just kind of game mechanics and game design in general, which, you know, I think is very key to understanding those general concepts. And he, you know, in the book, he really talks about this idea of experimental understanding, which I think applies so well to games and journalism. And the, the idea, which he says is the most important, you know, of all the different like things to consider as a designer when making games, it's basically the, uh, you know, the ability to like really walk in people's shoes and like play games where you really are able to experience all the different story branches that exist with that story and the consequences of each of those choices that are made in that story. A good example of this is there's so much good uh, journalism out there about the Syrian refugee crisis, really digging into it. And on one end, you could read a story written about you know survivors who crossed the Mediterranean, made it to, made it to Greece or Italy, and like tell their story. Then there's also a way where you can use games, like the BBC and the, the Guardian did, where you can see all the consequences along those routes that these refugees are taking if they make the wrong move they could die and really understanding that that this that this is like an incredibly perilous journey that families are taking and every step of the way these refugees are having to make choices that are life or death you can get a sense of that you know reading a story but you really understand how important choice is and why why so some of these refugees are making choices that on the outside are just like, why would you ever like try to cross the Mediterranean the way you're crossing it? Or why would you ever make this choice? When you're able to play a game that's telling their stories in this manner, you can better understand the thought process you know, behind their choices. And on the commercial side, I can see brands that want to tell their narrative using games as well to get their customers to really understand a message that they're trying to get across. Thanks for all your insights, John. And that's our show. Check out our other episodes about the gaming industry, VR, and our E3 recap. Make sure to tweet us at SparkPR if you want to know more, or tell us about some groundbreaking development in the world of gaming. Thanks to Rostin Murphy and John Osborne D'Agostino for lending their wisdom. And we'll see you next time. Get that more blocked out and see the bottom line. Rise. Rise.